Welcome back to our series of questions and answers. In our last session, we asked the question, how can we know that God exists? And we looked at what the scripture says about how God has revealed himself in creation, particularly in Psalm 19 and in Romans chapter one. In this session, we're gonna follow up on that question by asking another question. Are there good arguments for the existence of God? And the answer to that, of course, is yes, and we're going to look at some of them. In particular, uh, a set of arguments made by a theologian named Thomas Aquinas. Now, Thomas Aquinas was a medieval theologian. He was a brilliant man. He wrote, uh, most famously, his work called the, the Summa Theologica, which is uh, means the sum of theology, and he didn't finish it, and yet even still, it comes to about five volumes of very small print. But in that great work, one of his uh, most famous and enduring contributions was what we call Aquinas's five ways. These five ways are five ways that Aquinas set out to demonstrate that God does in fact exist. And we call these five ways the cosmological argument, or they make up part of what we call perhaps the cosmological argument. And the reason for that is that the word cosmos means universe. And Aquinas's five ways come from observing the universe, observing the creation that God has made, where God has revealed himself, and seeing how we can reason from what we see in creation to the reality of God, to the truth that God exists. And so we're gonna look at some of Aquinas's five ways and see how they can help us uh, sort of extend the connection between uh, what scripture says about God revealing himself in creation and people being able to come to a, an, an informed, reasonable conclusion based on that creation that yes, there is a God. In other words, what I'm saying is, you might say to somebody uh, who doesn't believe in God or is struggling with doubts about the existence of God, you might say, well, it's obvious. Look at creation. Look at all the things that God has made. It's obvious that there's a God. If they look around at the sky and the stars and the mountains and the seas and the trees and everything, and they say, I still don't get it. I still don't see it. Or I still struggle. I still have doubts. Aquinas's five ways help us help take us beyond just looking to also reasoning, thinking, meditating, contemplating the creation that God has given us and how it points us back to the reality of a creator, not just by looking, but we might say by observing, by, by looking carefully, by looking thoughtfully at the things that God has made. So we call these Aquinas' five ways because he says in that famous book, the Summa Theologica, he says the existence of God can be proved in five ways. And here's the first one. The first, what we call the first way is um, what's called the argument from motion. Okay, and here's what Aquinas says. I'm quoting from one of the translations of his work, and he, he says this, just briefly, he says, it is certain and evident to our senses that in the world some things are in motion, right? Things move. 
Whatever is in motion, he says, must be put in motion by another. If that by which it is put in motion be itself put in motion, then this also must needs be put in motion by another, and that by another again. But, he says, this cannot go on to infinity, because then there would be no first mover, and consequently no other mover. Therefore, it is necessary to arrive at a first mover put in motion by no other, and this everyone understands to be God. Now, let's talk about what he means there. We look around at the world, and we see things moving. People move, animals move, right? If we um, listen to the scientists, right, and study science, or even just observe the heavens, uh, we realize that the earth is moving, the stars are moving, right? And so, uh, what has put all those things in motion? Well, Aquinas says, if something is in motion, it must have been put in motion by something else. That seems obvious, right? If we see something moving, we know that something must have moved it, or at least started it moving. And uh, Aquinas says that you can't go back to infinity with something before that something moving it, and then something before that moving it, and then that can't go back uh, infinitely. There has to be a first mover that isn't moved, right? This is what, where we get the phrase, the unmoved mover. And, and Aquinas says, we call that unmoved mover God. Now, here, here's an illustration that we can use. It's probably not original with me, but I don't remember where I may have encountered it. But here's an illustration. If you see a set of dominoes set up to create a, a domino fall, right? Where you set up one domino after another and you push one down and they each knock the others down until they've knocked all of them down. Well, one domino moves another, which moves another, which moves another, but we all know that somebody has to move the first domino. The first domino is not going to move itself, right? That's what Aquinas is saying, except on a universal scale. Something had to start the motion. Something had to move what is now moving, right? And that thing can't itself have been put in motion by something else because then that something else would have to be uh, the, the, uh, a mover as well, right? Um, and so you need an unmoved mover. You need one being one reality, one thing that set everything in motion. And Aquinas says, that's who we're talking about when we talk about God. Or that's what, uh, when we talk about some being putting things in motion, that has, that's, that's what we call God. Right? So of all the things that we see moving, there has to be a source of that movement that was not itself moved or put into motion. Right? Here's the second way. Aquinas gives us, and this is related, but a little bit different, and this is what we call the first cause, right? He says, there is no case known in which a thing is found to be the efficient cause of itself, for so it would be prior to itself, which is impossible. In other words, nothing that we know, right, that has been caused can cause itself, because the cause has to come before the effect, 
And so if I am the effect of my own cause, then I had to exist before myself in, other, in order to cause me to exist, which doesn't make any sense. It's a logical impossibility, right? So he says everything that has to have a cause uh, or almost everything has to have a cause, right? We don't know of anything that has been caused that um, doesn't have uh, or doesn't uh, that caused itself, right? So if because if so, it would have caused itself, and that's not possible. Now he says, now to take away the cause is to take away the effect, right? And again, this is common sense, right? This is logic. If you take away the cause of something, then you also take away the effect. If nothing causes this thing to exist, it won't exist. Right? Therefore, he says, if there be no first cause among efficient causes, there will be no ultimate nor any intermediate cause. You can't have a last cause, you can't have a middle cause, unless you have a first cause. And he says, therefore, it is necessary to admit a first efficient cause to which everyone gives the name God. So you have to have a cause at the beginning of all the other causes and all the other effects, you have to have a cause at the beginning that is not itself caused. Whatever that is, Aquinas says, that's what we call God. God is the one uncaused reality in the universe. In Christian theology, we would say God is self existent, right? He's not, his, he's not dependent upon anything else or anyone else to exist. Nobody caused him to exist. He just does exist. And so Aquinas is saying behind everything else that has to be caused to exist, right? all the rest of us, our existence is dependent upon someone or something causing us to exist. And so at the back of all of that, right, preceding all of that, there must be a cause that was not itself caused by anything else. And he says, that's what we call God. Right? If there wasn't such a thing, then there wouldn't be anything else, right? And that leads us to his third way, which, where he talks about God being the one necessary being, right? Here's what he says. He says, if everything is possible not to be, then at one time there could have been nothing in existence, right? So in other words, he's saying, if it's possible for me not to exist, if, it, if it's possible for you not to exist, it's, if it's possible for everything that exists not to exist, then at some point, nothing would exist, right? Then he goes on, now if this were true, even now there would be nothing in existence because that which does not exist only begins to exist by something already existing. Again, we know this to be true from observing the world. Things only come into existence by the work of something or someone who already exists. Things don't come into existence on their own. They don't come into existence from nothing. They have to be brought into existence from something that already exists. So he goes on, therefore, if at one time nothing was in existence, it would have been impossible for anything to have begun to exist. So if at one time there was absolutely nothing, then there would still be nothing. 
because nothing cannot bring something into existence. He says, therefore, not all beings are merely possible, but there must exist something, the existence of which is necessary. There must be something, in other words, that has to exist, that cannot not exist. He goes on, now it is impossible to go on to infinity in necessary things which have their necessity caused by another. Therefore, we cannot but postulate the existence of some being having of itself its own necessity and not receiving it from another, but rather causing in others their necessity. This all men speak of as God. So this is the one ultimate necessary being, the one thing that has always existed that is the reason why anything exists at all. Because again, existence cannot come from non-existence. Non-existence cannot give birth, so to speak, to existence. It's not possible, it doesn't happen. So there has to be something that did not begin to exist, that has always existed, that has always existed of necessity by itself, that then brought something into existence, which is why there is something that exists today. Um, now, skip on, I'll skip to the, the fifth one. The fourth one, I think, is the most, uh, the most difficult, but it's worth looking at. Um, you want to look into it on your own. But I'll skip to the fifth one, where he talks about the intelligence behind the action in the universe. Here's what he says. He says, we see that things which lack intelligence, such as natural bodies, think of like uh, stars and planets and so forth. We see that things which lack intelligence, such as natural bodies, act for an end. And this is evident from their acting always or nearly always in the same way, so as to obtain the best result. Hence it is plain that not fortuitously, not by chance, but designedly do they achieve their end. Now whatever lacks intelligence cannot move towards an end unless it be directed by some being endowed with knowledge and intelligence as the arrow is shot to its mark by the archer. Therefore some intelligent being exists by whom all natural things are directed to their end, and this being we call God. In other words, you look at objects that don't have their own intelligence, right? Like a planet or a star. And we see that they are moving consistently toward an end, toward a goal, toward a purpose. There's a reason why they move the way they do. There's a reason why they do what they do. And yet the thing itself has no reasoning ability. It has no intelligence. It cannot have decided what it must do, right? Or what it's going to do. And so there has to be some intelligence, some rational being that has put that thing uh, or caused that thing to act toward the end that it is acting, to act consistently like it does. Just to use the example he uses, if you walk up to a target that has an arrow in it at the bullseye, you know that arrow wasn't just tossed up in the air randomly and happened to land in the bullseye. You know someone 
shot it, deliberately aimed it, sent it to that particular mark. This is similar to uh, the arguments about the fine-tuning of the universe, right? That our universe has been designed in such a way that uh, our planet is perfectly set in its distance from the sun and, and so on to sustain life, right? Why is it that everything has been set just right so that we can live here? So our planet doesn't freeze or, or burn up or whatever. Well, someone intelligent, someone rational must have put that in place that way because the earth couldn't do it by itself. The, the universe, the solar system couldn't do it by itself. There must be some intelligence behind those objects, behind those natural bodies, to use his word, right, that has uh, caused them to act in a way that appears intelligent, right? Where they act toward an end. And he says, whatever that being is, that we call God. Now, it's important to note that uh, Aquinas is not with these arguments trying to prove the existence of the Christian God in particular. In other words, he's not making arguments about the Trinity. He's not making arguments about God's character and nature, that he's gracious and merciful and kind and whatnot. He's simply making arguments at this point for the fact that God exists, that there is a supreme being, so to speak, that there is a being different than all other beings who is the reason why everything else exists, is the reason why the universe acts and works the way that it does, and so on. Now, these arguments may not be the most persuasive for you or for the person that you're talking to. Um, if that's the case, that's okay. These are not the only arguments that exist for the existence of God. In fact, um, there's a scholar named uh, Peter Kreft, K-R-E-E-F-T, who has a, a little book on Aquinas' Summa called A Shorter Summa, and in there he lists 24 different arguments for the existence of God. So let me just say that if you or someone you are uh, trying to, to talk with or encourage or minister to is struggling with doubts about the existence of God and you want help, go out and find some of these arguments. Right? If these that I've given you in this video uh, don't help or don't, don't quite um, give you all that you're looking for, there are other good, helpful, persuasive, arguments out there. Go look at Anselm's uh, ontological argument, right? Go look at, uh, again, there are, there are numerous arguments, uh, dozens, as uh, Peter Kreft says, dozens of arguments for the existence of God. He has written the evidence of his existence into the fabric of creation. It is there for us to see. Sometimes we just need a teacher, a friend, a scholar, a thinker, a companion, right, to help us to see it. So I pray and hope that this has been a blessing to you and a help to you. God bless.